right, welcome back into the original Gangsters podcast. I am your host, Scott Bernstein, along with my partner in crime and co-host, Dr. Jimmy Bucciolato. Hi, everyone. Hey, now. So we are very, very, very exhilarated and excited and just, you know, just jacked to the max right now to have our first in-studio guests in our, well, we'll call this maybe our second season. Yeah. Um, with the OG podcast. And they're very dear friends of mine, and they can speak to a lot of different uh, layers of, of uh, the stuff that we talk about on here. Whether we're talking about the entertainment industry, or we're talking about actual interacting with gangsters, or we're talking about old school mob lineages. Um, they are the total package. So I want to welcome on to the original Gangsters podcast, David Uslin, Johnny Aferato, and David's buddy Mike from New Jersey. Um, and we're just going to have kind of a round table and, and chop some stuff up. David and Johnny are both, um, producers in the entertainment space in Los Angeles. David's family has a, uh, pretty big profile out there. They are the owners of the licensing rights for television and film for the Batman universe. So they produce all of the Batman films dating all the way back to, the original Batman film with Michael Keaton that came out in 1989, um, all the way up to the most recent one, which was The Joker um, with Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Oscar-nominated uh, kind of across the board. The I think it was the, the uh, most highest-grossing rated R movie of all time, and David can, can speak to some of that with him and his dad, and then Johnny and, and David are, are partners uh, in producing quite a bit of content, and then David also... Um, when he when early in his career cut his teeth did a, if people remember that AMC did a a, a mob week um, where they were showing uh, famous mob gangster movies and then kind of interspersed through the movie uh, you would get interviews with some of the people uh, the characters that the the or figures that there were characters in those films based on uh, these people and the, and and David would uh, have them interviewed and uh, th- that was a a home run, and we're doing a lot of new stuff. So, guys, thanks for coming on. Sorry that was a long preamble. I really appreciate you guys uh, joining us. No, it's great to be here. I've been I've been waiting for this moment for for quite some time. Big big supporters of the original Gangsters podcast. Big supporters. Well, uh, why don't we let's, let's just start with Johnny for a second. Um, Johnny Fratto, you might recognize the name. Uh, he's Johnny Fratto Jr. So his dad, Johnny Fratto, was a prominent. Uh, member of the Howard Stern show and and uh, was also a guy that, uh, you know, came from the streets, came from Chicago. His dad uh, had been uh, a very infamous figure in, in Chicago outfit history. That would be Johnny's grandpa, uh, Cockeye Lute Fratto, who ran Iowa, Iowa yeah. for <laughs> the mob. You don't, you don't really... Uh, Think of Iowa and organized crime activity as, uh, you know, as compatible. But there was a, a pretty major influence in Des Moines, Iowa that uh, the Fratto family oversaw. And then, you know, there's, there's some Frattos that now uh, exist within the outfit even today. And uh, Johnny, kind of talk about what was it like uh, growing up knowing that you, know, you had that infamy in your family and that your, your, your bloodline actually touched up against Capone's? I mean, it's awesome. But, I, you know, it's, it's good depending on where you are because, you know, in Des Moines, where I grew up, uh, we were thought of as the bad guys. Like, kids were not allowed to spend the night at my house. I wasn't allowed to, you know, their, their parents were very worried about my dad, you know, and thought he was kind of a 
a bad guy, which I don't know. I don't think he was, but maybe he was. Who knows? You know, I, I, mean, I don't. I never looked at. <laughs> I never looked at your dad as like a hard. And I'm not saying this as any disrespect to your dad's pedigree, but your dad was not a hardcore no. gangster. Your dad was more of a personality. No, but then every once in a while, like weird things. Am I? Oh, the, yeah. you know, every once in a while, weird things would happen. Like when I was a kid, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it was a funny thing. I was working at Target. And uh, I get a call from my dad. He's screaming at me, get home right now. I'm, I, I literally leave. I don't even ask my permission. And I get home. He had just been robbed at gunpoint by uh, a guy that worked for him, a young guy named Eric, a young Italian kid. And he got all my dad's jewelry. And uh, he got, you know, whatever cash my dad had from the club the night before. And um, so my dad was livid, you know. And I don't know why he was mad at me, but he was mad for whatever. He was just mad at the world, right? And uh, a couple days later... He somehow had all his jewelry back, and I'm like, hey, so you, you, you got your stuff back? He's like, yeah, but the interesting part was they found Eric dead <laughs> the in the woods. The interesting Shot part. up. So I don't think my dad was a bad <laughs> but like, you hear stories like that, and you see things like that, and you go, you know, it, it kind of adds up. So I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't Did your dad, your dad own a club in Des Moines? Yeah. What was the club? It, well, he had a couple. His last one was called Crowbar. Okay. Yeah. And Was there a substantial... Uh, Italian American population in Des Moines. I don't. I don't think of like when I think yeah. of like Italian like uh, enclaves. I don't think of Des Moines. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh my God. Like uh, when I grew up, it was all Italian kids. It wow. was. It was. It was either really waspy, uh, waspy, or uh, all Italian. Like the South Side where I grew up was all Italian. Okay. Because everybody came in from Chicago. So you know, I mean, even my grandmother, who was a Randa, grew up in Des Moines. Her whole family was bootleggers. So when my grandfather was sent by the outfit to Chicago in like 1938, 1939, you know, there was already a big. Uh, Italian-American community there, and he hooked up with my great-grandfather on the other side, I guess. They started doing business. how you met my grandmother, and a lot of a lot of crazy stories, but yeah, everybody's Italian there. Yeah, it's that's weird. cool. Yeah. And Frato, that, that's Siciliano? That, they're from Sicily? Yeah, yeah, it's Cal Calabria and Sicily. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then you're, and then also you're related to the Renda family, the the Randa family. Well, Rand. Renda, Randa, and Rand. It was like three brothers that came over something with their paychecks got fucked up or something. Okay. <laughs> they, they had to <laughs> delineate, you know, who was yeah. what. But yeah, it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah, because you know Renda, that's a that's yeah. a name in Detroit history and in Canada. I mean that they're from, uh, I think, um, Elkamo. In, I don't uh, know Sicily. that I'm related to those ones, but maybe yeah. I mean, it's possible. You know? Sure. Yeah. Okay. The family, cool. Thank the you. The family's connected yeah. to so many people. I mean, it's. Uh, I've been, you know, I had the pleasure of of having Johnny's dad as as my host for AMC Mob Week and a bunch of other documentaries that I, I did, and I had a chance to travel to a bunch of different places with him throughout California and and through a bunch of other states, and it was, you know, it's like with all these other Fratos, it's with all you guys, it's like you're all connected. It's like Jewish geography. It's like wherever you go, there's there's some connection point somewhere. But uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles, fifteen years ago plus you know johnny's dad was one of the first people I, I i i really became very close with and back then the hangout was uh the rainbow bar and grill in in los angeles up on sunset i was Solis. never invited my dad <laughs> i don't think he wanted to that place know, is legendary i don't think he wanted to be uh, uh too scumbaggy in front of his own son <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well he was yeah. he, he liked he liked the women a lot so you know. well, this this place was yeah. was really incredible because he you know he introduced me to a bunch of people and and the rainbow was like this place where everybody was was there and and it was okay to be there and it was it was neutral territory and i remember going there days and you would see you know different 
biker gangs there, and you would see guys from Chicago there, and you would see guys from, you know, back east there. But then you'd also see, see actors and, and see actors musicians and, you see and celebrities. And yeah. you see everybody that's all in there, and uh, and it was it's, it was a really interesting place to, to, to be for a while. I remember just, I shouldn't say I remember, I just saw some documentary with Stephen uh, Percy, who is the lead singer of Rat, and talking about how there was a little alcove underneath one of the tables at the rainbow that would be his like go-to spot where you would take girls <laughs> and he would disappear like <laughs> under a table at the rainbow have sex you know come out you know have some drinks you know eat dinner and then find another girl and go back into the alcove under, underneath the booth at the rainbow i think you know, that, that was in be... the motley crew movie too was wasn't that it? I, yeah, yeah i mean so i, I I suspect the ra- there's a lot of that going That's on. the rainbow. That's <laughs> nothing, the rainbow nothing, room. Nothing would ever surprise me there. I feel like that would be really cramped. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you <laughs> can't really stretch <laughs> your leg. Yeah. Uh, but I want to start with David. We're going to start with a TNT, you know, throwing a stick of dynamite down the hallway right now. Um, so we're going to kind of start with something and then go backwards with David. I want David to tell the story. Um, about 10 years ago, at some point in the last 10 years, David was uh, in negotiations with a pretty notorious mob figure from Philadelphia named Skinny Joey Merlino. We've spoken about him on the show. We've had people that have had firsthand interaction with Joey, um, including myself, that have, have spoken about it. Joey Merlino is probably the most um, compelling modern-day mob figure in America right now. He's out of Philadelphia. If he uh, had been out of, if he was out of New York, um, he would be someone that was a household name in America right now. But he's in Philadelphia, so he's just kind of a household name in Philadelphia. David was trying to develop something with him, and I'm going to give it over to David. So he was in L.A. for his was it for his niece's bat mitzvah? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I think it's, it was his niece's bat mitzvah. But it was a. It was a. Whatever it was, it was a nice family event. And and uh, Joey's sister lives out in L.A. and is married to a nice Jewish boy. Yeah, there was. I. It was so long ago, but there was. There was some really good, strong family roots, and uh, and Joey and I were. You know, there were a few of us that were talking. We were connected through some 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 mutual friends, and he's a he's a good guy, and you know, and uh, he, very likable. Very likable. Everyone likes he's, Joey. He's he was he was a great guy. Everyone so wants to hang out with Joey. Really good conversation. He's I mean, a listen, good time never, party guy. Yeah, and we, uh, you know, and this was just early on, and at that point, nobody was talking about anything serious, though. But uh, it was, it was good. And Johnny's dad, you know, we we hung out all of us a couple times, and and uh, it was, it was, it was good. And then he had this family event, and Johnny's dad and I had to uh, drive down to to the Ritz for for this particular event. We went went down there to have some drinks with the family, and and listen, I mean, being born where where I was in New Jersey, and just you know, uh, having you know friends all over the place, and even just from the documentary side, being around certain people, I never was uh, ever approached by by the FBI or undercover agents for anybody that I know. I mean, and listen, I'm here to make movies and books and comic books. I mean, with the you know, and uh, and I was down there at the Ritz, and, and it was just. Uh, at some point, I left the bar, and I think I was down at the restroom and on my way back, and these two guys who uh, who were just dressed normally, you know, uh, just stopped me cordially for, for, I think, to ask something about, like, you know, is this way, is, is the restaurant this way or the restroom this way? And I forget what it was. I might have been wearing a Yankee hat. It was something, but these guys were like, so uh, are, you, uh, are you in here for, are you here from out of town? I was like, no, I live here. He's like, eh, something happened where he connected me to New Jersey. I think it was the Yankee hat. And he's like, I could hear it in your accent. He's like, uh, he's like yeah, he's like, we're out here from, uh, from the East Coast as well. And, and, and literally, I just was having a cordial conversation. 
just like I would with anybody that just stops me and immediately if we have, you know, the Yankees in sync, you know, I don't care about anything else. So I'll talk to you for 17 hours. And, uh, and we started talking and they were like, uh, at some point in the conversation, they were like, so uh, it seems like there's a bunch of people in here from, uh, from the East Coast. And I was like, yeah, you know, there's, there's some wedding, there's some family event and a bunch of people. It's like, I, I see, I feel like there's people from, it sounds like from Philadelphia. And they started getting a little bit inquisitive. And I was so oblivious that I was still in just, yeah, you know, we're all here. And then some people came in and everybody's having drinks and having fun. And, and it took me a second. And then I realized that, uh, that these guys were, were not tourists. And something more, and uh, and I stopped and I asked them, and I was like, uh, I was like, are you, are, what's going on here? And and they then they just came out and said it. They they said that they were with the FBI and they were here, and uh, and they knew that I was from New Jersey, and they and they asked me a few more questions, and I said I had to get back to the to the party, and they said go and have a great time, and and they made sure to let me know that they would be around, and that was that was the first time that 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 ever happened to me. I think for, for, again, for people that don't know Skinny Joey Merlino, this is probably par for the course. Like, anywhere he goes, he's being followed and surveilled and monitored. And um, he, you know, he's done about 12 years in prison. He's pushing 60 right now. Uh, He's been the boss of Philadelphia since he was in his 30s. And I don't think there's a organized crime figure in America right now that is more of a target for the FBI than Joey Merlino. It's very personal. Um, the animus is very personal. And I think the fact, I think David's story really illuminates a lot of that. The fact that, you know, Joey wasn't, I was talking to Jimmy about this off the air yesterday. I think it would have been different. I would feel differently about this if Joey was coming to L.A., to go meet with the L.A. mob don, and they were going to be at a wedding where there was going to be, or a, or a, a ceremony where there was going to be a lot of organized crime figures there congregating. But this was really just Joey going to a, his niece's bat mitzvah. He wasn't going there to have meetings with organized crime figures. Yeah, I mean, listen. I, so it I, just I, seems strange that the FBI, not strange, but it seems almost like a waste of resources for FBI agents from Philadelphia to travel to L.A. to surveil a family function that has no ties to organized crime. I mean, listen, we've, uh, in my humble opinion, you know, Johnny, I, we've all seen it enough. You know, there's, there, there's, I, I've seen many occasions where you could see, you know, wasted time and, and resources you know, in a significant way. And, but they're just and, doing and it to fuck with him. I mean, they just exactly. literally want to be there so they can be a thorn in his side so Joey can say, can you believe these motherfuckers are sitting here outside my, you know, my niece's bat mitzvah? Yeah, I would, I, you know, I, 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 it's unfortunate. And I think that it happens, you know, far, far too often. And, you know, again, like we, we, we have a bunch of friends that are, you know, that have, you know, unique histories, but, are doing some 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 great shit right now, and whether that's you know writing books or or helping out with you know something historical or museum related or you know all sorts of legitimate stuff, you know trying to do right and make a, a an honest dollar, but also help with again whether it's something historical in nature, you know, and, and I don't harassment is is not necessary. I think for a lot of the time here, and it's just you know I see it myself sometimes and. And it is what it is, but I have mind games, you know, 
Yeah. It is mind games. It, it's, it's, it's like saying uh, we're watching you at all times. Yeah. You can't do anything without us uh, not looking at you, and it probably gets in your head, and then, you know. It's mental warfare. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, now, the question I have is, who tipped off the feds that Joey was flying to L.A.? <laughs> I'm not, well, there's informants all around him. That's, and, what I, that's, what I, that's my point. Well, like, I don't mean it literally, but, like, I mean, like, how, how would they know that he was going right, to by And judging by David's story, this wasn't the Philadelphia FBI office calling the L.A. FBI office and saying, hey, we got a guy coming into your area, keep tabs on him. This is the Philadelphia feds flying to right. – LA, the, so they knew he was. Yeah. They knew when and where he was going to be. Yeah, but it's because he probably, you know, checked in with his probation officers. He told them exactly. Oh, where yeah, he was that's going. probably why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. exactly where he was going. Yeah, he did everything point. by the book, and they still fucking, you know, came out and did and, and pulled that shit. So, so do they think? Do you think they thought that you were one of his crew, or did they know? They knew who you were. Listen, anybody before? who 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 has my name can spend ten seconds googling and see it. Yeah. exactly what kind of geeky. <laughs> what kind of person that I, you know, that I am, but it was, you know, I think it was just them, them just trying to, trying to squeeze Stick that, it. you know. And with Joe, you know, Joey is like, we've talked about. Goddamn FBI don't respect yeah. nothing. <laughs> Sonny Corleone, remember? <laughs> you know, he, he's a, he, Joey's a very charming, magnetic figure. Um, to be able to take over a crime family in this day and age at 32 years old, it, it speaks to your liter- leadership ability. Uh, and he's been incredibly, for a guy that's pretty likes the likes the headlines and likes the flash and dash, he's been pretty savvy in his ability to avoid uh, both. Uh, assassination attempts, which he's avoided about two dozen, and then attempts by the government to put him away, uh, put him in prison for the rest of his life, because in their mind, and I'm not talking about stuff that's happened in the last, even the last 20 years, in their mind, he got away with murder uh, in his earlier days, um, and and they believe that some of those cold case murders from the late 90s, um, early 2000s, that they're, they seem intent on trying to build a case against Joey Forso. They're just constantly in a, in, a, in a full court press mode against his him. guys are real loyal too that's something yeah. you don't usually see these days in in this world that the kind but of you also know. you know you don't get a lot of guys anymore who are out there and in whatever way giving back to the community and and spending resources and connections to actually no joey even, was- even if it's you know in front of the cameras and whatnot but like actually no, Joey loved that you know? stuff. He was doing the, you know, the, he had the Capone treatment. He every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, he's inviting the local press to come out to his turkey giveaways and his food giveaways, and you know, let's bring Santa for all the kids from the orphanage. And he definitely crafted that as as part of his as part Some of his Nino image. Brown stuff. And I mean, so let's just hit on two more things, and then we'll move on. First thing I want to say is to to Jimmy's point, uh, I, that entire operation in Philadelphia has been able to sustain and, and in some ways thrive when all of these guys are like gangsters, gangsters. Like most of the thriving organized crime figures in America over the last 25 years are gangsters that have been diversified, that, that know how to make money legitimately or shield or insulate their illegal activity. The Philadelphia guys are just straight gangsters. None of these guys really own businesses. They all live above their means in terms of the cars they drive and the house they live in and the amount of income they're reporting. And you'd think that would be a recipe for, for everyone just to be in jail for the rest of their lives. But these guys' loyalty is to each other 
They've been friends since they were in the sandbox. And it really has nothing to do with, a, with Omerta or uh, an oath that they took to La Cosa Nostra. They took an oath to each other as five-year-olds. I mean, listen, it's what you see here in Detroit yeah. to a certain degree. Well, right? Detroit, no, but Detroit's the, yes, in terms of the loyalty and, mm-hmm. the, uh, and, 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 the, and being true to the fact that you've known this person since you were born. Because in Detroit, you have all these intermarriages that made it so everyone's blood related. So if you're flipping on the family, you're actually flipping on your grandpa, you're flipping on your uncle, you're flipping on your dad. The difference is the Detroit family is, and since the 50s, 40s and 50s, is all diversified. Kinship. Oh, and diversified. I mean, Joe Zerilli made it uh, a requirement that any of the second generation that was coming into the family had to go get college educated. So the entire second generation of the guys that were getting inducted into the family in the, er- in the late 40s, early 50s, were all coming out of the university. Like either, you know, uh, Mike Polizzi got an accounting degree from, a, uh, from Syracuse. Vince Maley, who we were just talking about, got a, a business degree from Notre Dame. Uh, Toko, Zerilli, all got uh, business degrees from the University of Detroit. So, you know, starting in the 1950s. That's, un- that's unheard of. Right. Yeah. I forget <laughs> who, who we were talking to, Johnny, but somebody, you know, said it best that, uh, you know, the big difference between, you know, Chicago, the Midwest, and, and the East Coast is, you know, in the East Coast, you have, you know, during your average work day at 12 p.m. or 2 p.m., you got a bunch of guys sitting out in front of a cafe, you know, sipping their cappuccinos, you know, while everybody else is at work. And then you got the guys in, you know, Chicago and out here who are at their businesses hard at work, you know, morning till night, you know, making a, making a real legitimate paycheck. And, and that's, the, that's the, the discrepancy, the difference right there. Yeah, well, we, you know, we, I think we've sp- spoken about it on the show, and I said this off the air, and this is no, uh, this is public record. You know, our, uh, one of the highest ranking figures in the Detroit mob right now sold his insurance company for upwards of $100 million. So, you know, that's, that's real, real money, like real money. Uh, so let's let's go back for a second. Uh, David, tell us kind of about your family story. I know this is not necessarily gangster related. Now, David is now at a, a part of his career where he's kind of branching off a little bit from from the family business and trying to kind of make his own mark and getting into the true crime space or has been now for for a while. Um, but kind of take us back to the start about your father and your father's just really a, a, a brilliant visionary and, and a pioneer. People consider him in the world of, of, L, uh, of L.A. entertainment, people consider him the godfather of comic book cinema. The, the, the age of the Avengers and Iron Man and, and all of these blockbuster, major-budget, tentpole films that is really unique to the last 15, 20 years. Um, everyone traces the, the roots to your father's. So we can kind of talk about your father's journey and then how you kind of started following your father's footsteps. You know, the whole the whole story is it's just a great comic book story is what it is. You know, my my pops was one of the first real guys back back in the day to not only be a geek but understand where where this could all go. You know, now we throw around a word like franchise and whatnot all the time and and uh, and people just take for granted how big these movies nowadays, these comic book movies have become, you know, having films and Happy Meals and toys and, and theme park rides and all this. But, like, when we were all growing up as kids, like, we, th- this didn't exist. 
Batman, you know, Batman. There was that he was didn't it. Exist. Well, you know, when, when I was eleven, when I was yeah. eleven years old, Batman came out. Yeah. So I mean, like, but like, you know, they had Superman. They had some other stuff. But when you know, Mike and I were out playing, you know, t-ball as little kids. Like this, this stuff, like that. So, so one of the besides being a geek and 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 understanding that you know properties like Batman and Swamp Thing and Constantine and others deserve to be shown on a big screen the way that their creators originally intended not the studios and not the the companies but the creators what they wanted for these these characters that they created you know that's that's what my dad's dream was to make these guys that he thought were gods make their dreams a reality and the biggest one was batman and uh and he worked his way up through dc comics and and uh and got to a point where he knew the creators and the people who ran the company and then because his family was a bunch of blue collared stonemason you know construction family he couldn't really get into the mainstream entertainment so he became a lawyer and and becoming a lawyer understood the power of copyright law and and the law behind content and ip ownership and and that kind of stuff and worked his way up through a, a big major studio and eventually then with all of that behind him jumped over into producing and had enough clout to convince dc to give him these these rights and uh and then kind of the rest was history but that history took a long time right so what it, year what year did he make that deal it was in the 70s late 70s it? so this was right when superman with the with uh marlon brando yeah. and christopher reeve uh, but that, but you know, ever, back then, the only thing people cared about was Superman. Right. So, like, you would ask anybody at that moment. I granted, I wasn't alive in the late seventies, but you would ask anybody then, and Superman was all they cared about. It's all they, you know, that that was the comic book that 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 really crossed crisscrossed the whole globe. And uh, but, you well, know, but Super- what was, but was your did your dad see what the studios were doing with Superman in seventy seven? Not here. He had a plan. So, but that plan, plan preceded that. Yeah, he had a plan. And again, it took him it took 10, 10 years, years right. to get it done. But also over that 10 years, uh, a lot was also done in those in, in that time. So one of the things that he loved to do was to look at the stuff that I like to play with and read and see if there was, you know, an opportunity there. Um, and that is how he came across... Uh, that's where he came across Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, which uh, eventually went on to win him uh, an Emmy. But it was all because that was the, the video game that I liked to play when I was a kid. Oregon Trail, if you remember Oregon sure. Trail. <laughs> like, like these were the things that, like, you know, when Mike and I would come home, when we would come home from school and we would play it on our old computers, yeah. you know, this is the stuff that we would play. And he would see this. And that was fun. I remember that. And, <laughs> when you were yeah. at least my age. That might be a little bit before Scott's time, Oregon Trail, but I remember. No, my God. That was my time. So yeah. It must have been Scott's time, well, you know? But David, kind of um, tell us the story of when the 89 Batman was opening. I mean, I remember it, it was such a huge deal. And I remember uh, leaving my, I think it was sixth, fifth grade, I think fifth grade maybe or sixth grade, the last day of school, and going with my friend, like, there was like six or seven of us, jumped in my mom, or jumped in my friend's mom's, minivan and we all went and saw we all went and saw batman uh and then i remember oh like a couple days later my dad who was involved in my you know local jewish temple put together a premiere of batman so i saw it like two times in the first week um 
but it was like, it, it was ginormous. So for you being kind of in the eye of the storm with your dad, what was that like, summer of 89? It was, well, I you know, that was coming off being in London while they were filming this thing and, and coming back. And, and what I remember the most is there's only been two movies, I think, in my life that I remember people camping out we like days and days before the movie came out in sleeping and not like in just New York or LA, but like across the country. And I remember him taking me to Essex green, right? I remember Essex green and there was that, it was a great little theater there and in there New, in New Jersey, right? in New Jersey West Orange. Yeah, in West orange. And there was a huge line. Not only that, I also remember that I think it was the first Batman movie that people were paying money to go into the movie that the Batman trailer was oh, yeah. in, yeah, and right. they were paying the the ticket price to go in and see the trailer and then leave, and uh, and I just and the only other movie in my lifetime that I remember seeing excitement like that was for the Star Wars prequel movies yep. when those came out. Yep. I don't think that there was any other moment in time that I've I've seen that. And there was a at the time now you know, rec, or uh, what do they say? Um, uh, I want to say retrospect is twenty twenty. What's the, what's the expression? Hindsight. But, is hindsight is twenty. Sorry. Right. Hindsight is twenty twenty. When they announced Michael Keaton as Batman, people did not like that decision. I mean, they didn't did not view Michael Keaton, who was Beetlejuice, uh, or Mister Mom. That's the Mr. one Mom. that most that a lot of as people referenced. People were like, he ain't gonna be Batman, but he was a great Batman. Yeah. I mean, did you remember hearing, or even now when you talk about your dad, was he someone that was confident in Michael Keaton? It was because that role? Tim Burton was confident. Everybody believed in Tim Burton, and then the Jack, director. And then Jack Nicholson just stole the show as the Joker. Yeah. He was. I still tell my students Jack Nicholson is the best Joker, and my students are outraged. Yeah, I, I don't. Because their generation, it's Heath. It's, yeah, yeah. Heath Ledger but, was great. Oh, but, he was too. But Jack, I just, I, I'm maybe well, I'm the just good, too old you know, school. It's, like, it's a good great. thing, you know. My 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 pops, like you know, it's like every generation has their version, right? Yeah. That they are just attached to, and 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 in with Batman. I mean, look at all the different variations. You know, you had the colorful one of the the '60s. You had the serious detective of the of the '40s, and you had everything in between. You know, later on, and and that's that's the amazing thing about all of this is that you know everybody's got their their own that they can they can relate to. I even like if we're really going to geek out here. I I don't Jared Leto's Joker. I. I kind of like it. I don't. I don't see. There's, oh there's a lot of pushback against that. You don't. You, you, you don't. You, you, know, you don't go for that. My mom one. always no, taught no, me no. if I if yeah. I if I don't have anything nice to say. Don't say. I, it. I oh, should, okay, I okay. So just, wow. So I'm. But, the, maybe I'm the only. There, I think that there were. The, <laughs> it was a great Halloween costume, though. Yeah, that yeah, was. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah there were, there were a couple of good toys made from that that one as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he wouldn't be at the top of my list. Okay. Of, of yeah, Caesar Romero would even be. I love I love Caesar Romero. I mean that's. The, that was the Joker that I knew as a yeah. kid. Yeah. I would watch the the, yeah. the old Batman. I read the uh, I read the Batman sixty six comic book. You oh, know, yeah. Yeah, it's really. Cool. I got that iconic image of him with a surfboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sure, and sure. like that's. Yeah, but listen, you know, to some people, that's that's their Joker. No, that's you know? right. Yeah, that's right. And and I think um, one thing that's interesting. I think what, one reason why movie studios, correct me if I'm wrong, were were reluctant to embrace. Batman as a film, partly as you point out that he was considered a secondary character, but also there was this hangover from the 66 Batman. They thought right. that it was um, 
to Campy and and that your father was was really the important person here to say, wait a minute though, but if you go back to the source material, it's different. It's the Dark Knight. It's not it's not the uh, you know Campy nineteen sixty six Egghead. Yeah. <laughs> Vincent Price Egghead, which is which is cool, but it's just not that's not what that was my first introduction to Vincent it's Price. Not, it's not the it's not what Bill Finger and right. Bob Kane, the original creators, what they what they intended, you know? Right. But the same thing applies to everything honestly that we all do in life. I mean, like all the different stories that we're involved with on in film or television or anything that we're turning into publishing material or whatever we're adapting, you know, you got to stick to the roots, right? And you got to, you got to do it right. And, and you just got to, you got to do it that way. Otherwise it turns out just not good and not the way that it's intended and again like with life rights based off of you know the types of historical figures that that scott and i and johnny and others are working with all day long like you gotta you gotta do this stuff right you gotta be honest you gotta work with the people that have either created this or that this stuff is based on and really create that family environment because because you know otherwise what's the point yeah i agree with you and we you and i were just talking about that before we started the, the episode that um I think it's important to have like what I refer to as true believers yeah. as part of that decision making process as opposed to just um, you know accounting. I agree. Scott <laughs> Scott knows that personally because you know we have a bunch of uh you know entertainment Good projects segue. together. Good segue. Yeah, but he we got a bunch and he knows because I I put him through the ringer you know, with the R&D that mm. we need and that our showrunners and writers need, you know, on these characters to be able to adapt them, write them, write their language, write their mannerisms the way that it needs to be, right? And you can't just take a a quick a quick and easy approach to that. And, and it's just a, you know, a blessing that with a lot of the talent we're working with, like that's what they want to see. That's what they want to dive into. And, and it's, you know, one of the reasons why all these different things that we're up to, you know, are, are special because everybody actually gives a shit and actually cares about the history and each of these, you know, things, these little cool things that we're doing right now. I mean, we got people that, that live and breathe this stuff and that changes everything. Yeah. And it's good to hear. It's refreshing to hear as someone who's a civilian <laughs> and just a person who enjoys these films and, and reading the, the uh, source material. So well, not only enjoying that, I mean, look at the viewership that comes with this stuff now. So, oh, yeah. you know, with yeah. all of the streamers being what they are, yeah. you know, the Netflixes and Amazons yeah, that, that we're all working with and close with in a bunch of ways. And, and David's right in the nexus of this. This Right now, in terms of what people are looking for in content, it's either superheroes or true crime. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's those are yeah. the two pillars of content right now. Yeah. But there's also, you know, the stuff in the middle. And there's the junk that's out there that's getting 90 million people watching it, you know? And it's everything between. So you turn out something really good with, you know, the right names attached that, you know, put that spotlight on it. And, and the world is kind of, you know, at your fingertips right now if you got those, you know, right resources and, you know, and if you do it right. People will respond, I think. They'll respond. They'll so let's respond. talk about the stuff that, you know, David and Johnny are, are partners in producing content. They've got a lot of uh, irons in the fire. Let's first start about how you and Johnny met and then kind of go into uh, the things that, that you feel comfortable discussing right now and, and some things you got on the horizon. I know you and I are doing, on, doing some stuff together. Um, a lot of it, you know, a lot of uh, excitement 
not just with us, but the people that were in, uh, involved in doing these projects together. So just kind of talk us how you met Johnny. I mean, listen, the, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely story <laughs> is what it is. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, a love affair, it, Johnny you know, and yeah, David. Yeah. It's uh, when I moved to LA, Johnny's dad was, became one of my closest friends here. And, and because of that, our families became intertwined from then on. And Johnny being Johnny, you know, senior son, you know, became like a brother to me after his father passed, he and I became that much closer, but the families, you know, it's like Jewish and Italian families. I mean, like they're one and the same. Yeah, no. And once, you know, we all got to really know each other and the kids got to know each other and the wives got to know each other and the girlfriend and it's just, it all, you know, it, it became, it became very, intimate all of us and and when you know johnny and his family would be doing reality shows you know they would be we would ask you know each other for advice and when i was doing so and it just became that way and uh i mean to a point where you know if i had to leave my six-year-old with somebody i mean you know i don't trust anybody more than i trust the frados and and that's and that's the way it was and when his dad passed away it went from a concentration of 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 entertainment related opportunities that we were all playing with to listen we all have amazing resources and people that we know and maybe there's other areas of business that we can all get into and and take advantage of and and that's why you know today it's it's producing and we have a couple uh clubs and lounges that are coming later on this year in los angeles and one of the big things johnny and i and our partners just uh acquired one of the the last remaining and will be the first to market big cannabis consumption uh lounge club that's going to be coming in west hollywood beverly hills area later this year that took us a a good solid year to to complete with our partners that's it's going to be one of a kind and you know and, and everything else and even with the the mob stuff that were the fun true crime stuff that we're doing you know we just happen to have friends and people out there big talent it's all about who you know that that love this shit like we do and if you have a story that really stands out you know from everything else you know that's out there in the market then then we, we pursue it wholeheartedly. And, uh, and between, you know, some of these um, life rights and, and uh, bio-related stories that we're telling to the stuff that we're doing with the Mom Museum, because uh, I'm on the board of advisors for the Mom Museum, so Wait, as, as well as obviously no you. You're, you're, and, in, you're and, on the board. And Johnny, Johnny's family is, is doing more with the museum. So, like, this is, you know, this is yeah. one of the areas that we shine. And Shout it's out like working. to Jeff and uh, John at the, at the Mom Museum. They do a great job. Hello, boys. Yeah. And we're excited to see you in Vegas in a couple weeks. But, you know, it's like, again, it's like whatever ways we can all work it, keep it in the family, that's, that's what we try to did, do. Did, so the first couple things that David did by himself uh, was a St. Valentine's Massacre documentary as well as the Mob Week Correct. that you did on AMC. Did, was Johnny involved in that? Yeah, I so wasn't involved. Johnny's dad, dad was. Johnny's yeah. dad was, okay. Yeah. So Johnny's dad was, and, uh, and uh, you know, Johnny was, was this Johnny. While we were all gallivanting around the country doing what we were doing, he actually was, uh, among many things, uh, building up the expertise and the relationships that have allowed us to do what we do in the cannabis and CBD industry. And, uh, but with those early stuff, that was Johnny's dad. Johnny's dad was, as, as I think we all know, he was 
the premier host for this type of thing. <laughs> he was perfect on camera. He was very... He knew everybody, and he knew the history really well. The one thing i got to give the Frados is they know their history very, very well. And and you mix that with with his unique look and that lovely set of hair that all the Frados continue to have. <laughs> um, you know, it was he just looked perfect on camera. They are what us bald people like to call bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> they will never I mean, lose. Listen, their, they'll never lose their hair. The wingtips on the side, like Polly Walnuts. Though, look at this. It's just. I've had, and Johnny's I, got I've the had best rely, hair of anyone I've yeah. met in the last <laughs> decade. I've had to rely on Propecia the last twenty years just to keep this, but uh, but it was amazing. And then with that Valentine's Day massacre doc we did for National Geographic, it was really some of the first time that spatial recreation technology was brought in that made this documentary, which came out like twelve years ago, I think. Now it still looks. It still looks pretty pretty awesome. Still holds up. So, um, and then were you involved in the AMC making the mob series? Either one of you, the no, but but you know it's a small world. You know, okay, you so but, okay. where where you know we we typically get involved in the things that are more like you know low hanging fruit. Sure, you know the concentration for us is the bigger scripted films and television stuff we're doing, and and the hospitality stuff that we're doing. But uh, but it's a small world, and everybody who's making these organized crime, you know, projects out there, you know, everybody talks, everybody hears what's going on, and it's one of the ways that we can figure out stories that haven't been told before, or you know, interesting new ways into a story that hasn't been done before. Okay, are are you guys? Um any other like um, terms of? I know you guys have a lot of things in the, in the fire with TV, film, documentaries. Anything that you're willing to announce or discuss, or is it still? Well, I think in the that, you know two with, early stages with us. Uh, there are um, there's a bunch of things that are still uh, I think a little bit too early to mention. Okay, sure. But one of the more exciting things that we're all working on right now, and uh, and really Scott and Johnny and I have been been trying to figure out, and this is with uh, the Mom Museum, is is a way to get more stuff published and out there in the marketplace, more original, great stories. Uh, instead of the same stories maybe that we keep seeing out sure. there in the marketplace, yeah. um, doing some interesting new things. And that's both in novelization form, graphic novel form. Yeah. Um, there's there's a couple things out there. And, uh, you know, if you want to, Johnny, vaguely mention maybe some of the, the stories and ideas that we're playing with, you know, it kind of covers a bunch of different uh, different genres. And, and Scott himself is uh, is involved with with one of these stories, which is DEA involved. You know, oh yeah, right. That right. is, I think, going to be one of our more fun projects that we have coming. Yeah, that, I think that's probably related to Patty, who was a guest on our show, or and Frank Panas. We've that's had right. we've that's had right. both of those agents. Yeah, th- those stories are are really cool, and they're both really nice people, and like tell great stories. So they're great. Yeah, and, that's really cool. And Frank's life is amazing. And there's yeah. a couple other people that that uh, you know, without mentioning names, maybe you could relay you know some of the genres. But it's been my dream for us to be able to cultivate these types of stories yeah. and have a publishing outlet specifically for them, so we don't have to claw our way, you know, to getting this particular one story told and having to take three, four years to do so. We're, we're hoping that uh, in the near future we have a way of 
of, of telling a number of these stories in an expedited fashion. Well, that's cool. That's great to hear. Um, so uh, I, I know we're talking about like media projects, but I just have to ask uh, Johnny something back to the, we're talking about kinship and genealogy. So your grandfather was a big deal. Did did you ever meet him, or did, was he no, deceased? No, he died before... twelve years before I was born. Okay, so he died in '67. I was born in '79. But I mean, you know, I feel like I knew him. I mean, Jesus Christ, my my whole life, my, it's all my dad ever talked about. It's all everybody, my family ever talked. So everybody in the large. whole city of Des Moines ever talked about. You know, sure. I mean, even though we were considered like the bad guys, I mean, you know, he he he. he uh, you know, he, I guess from what I understand, he paid off the mortgage on the church or something like that. He he uh, he built all the little league fields. He did a lot of really nice things. You know, I mean, I'd have people come up and be like, "Oh, your grandfather paid off the mortgage on my house." I, I was like, "Fantastic, oh, great," you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was beloved, really. So he had you that know? old school, like the old school, like he's the Don, which means you look out for people in the community. Maybe you're doing some sketchy stuff, right? We'll be honest, but you're also looking out for people well, in the community. I think after Keith Offer, everybody knew who he was because he went before that and then he was kind of outed, you know? Sure. And then, yeah. it, it, then things got a little dicey for him. Was there, but, it was 30, I mean, it was 30 years, right? I mean, he got yeah. there and he got the, there in 38. Right, and he died in 67. Yeah, so he was there a long time. Yeah, exactly. Was, was he sent there by the outfit, or was, did he, was it a natural thing or kind of a mix? I think he was sent there. I, I, I look, I wasn't there, obviously. Of course, so what the of course. Yeah. Know, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he was sent there, from what I understand. No, he, he was sent there to replace a guy named Charlie Joy. Joy. Yeah. They called Cherry Nose, who got in trouble for the Hollywood extortion. <laughs> now yeah, we're dovetailing again. All the Hollywood yeah, extortion exactly. case with uh, Frank Nitti, who was oh, Capone's right. successor. Right. They all had to go to jail. Nitty didn't want to go to jail, so he, he committed killed suicide. Himself. Right. right. So Charlie Joy went to jail, and they replaced Charlie Joy with Lou Ferrato. So your grandfather, he knew personally he all was those with big the, names: Frank well, Nitty, Al Capone. I mean, he was he, he was, was Capone's in the guy. gang, so he grew up right on Taylor Street. So oh, he, wow. Sam Giancana, Sam Battaglia, oh, all wow. these guys he was with. I mean, you know, wow. we just were in Chicago yeah. this wow. this last weekend and got the personal tour of where the whole family lineage started from. And, you know, you just look at the origins of Taylor Street and then look at the proximity proximity that your family had to it all. You know, again, it's 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 a family who is just intertwined with with this unique period wow. of, of history in Chicago and beyond. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, he uh, I mean, it's great. And then my my dad's older brother, Frankie, was actually killed in the plane crash of Rocky Marciano in 1969. Yeah. In yeah, New yeah, Iowa. Yeah. So right. that insane. happened. And, you know, just a, a lot of. A lot of crazy stuff in my family, you know. But you know, my grandfather when he was sent there, I mean, so so many weird things. He crossed paths with Ronald Reagan, friends with Ronald Reagan oh, in wow. Des Moines in the nineteen. Oh, that's, that's where he was 40s. from. That's right. That makes sense. There's you know, a bunch of people a, from a lot, Iowa. A lot that of really weird realize. stuff. Yeah. I mean, later on in life, you know, my dad and I. He was a baseball out. broadcaster yeah, for, the Cubs, for the Cubs. For the Cubs. Yeah, yeah. But he was, but he was broadcasting the games from Iowa. Like yep. it was a weird. He was reading the. He was reading the. Uh, what do they call it? The wire. The wire. Right. He was. That was just sort of an interesting kind of quirk right because of the technology back hey, listen, then johnny has That's an cool. amazing baseball in his collection a softball, a softball <laughs> that is signed by the greatest yankee team in history that is in his possession in his family's possession thanks to ronald reagan in one 20, of the most incredible stories ever 29 26 27 27 yep oh my god so, so that's garrett yeah. Rowe and everybody yeah oh my god yeah his day he has literally a oh, cool. softball not a baseball signed by the entire team that was hand delivered to his was family it 27 or 37 27 was it 27? johnny we were actually together uh about six months ago we were all together in nevada and we were with johnny's uncle tommy and I believe it was the anniversary 
of Frank, oh, Frank, of yeah, Frank's yeah. plane crash that he died in. Yep. And I can remember Tommy was talking about it, and he, he, he teared up. I mean, this was like, this yeah. was his... I only saw my dad cry maybe like three yeah. times in my life, and every time he'd talk about that, he would, he would tear up and start to... He'd have to get out of the room, you know? To, but to think like sad. Rocky Marciano yeah. and Frankie One-Ear Fratto, like... No, not, no, not Frankie oh, one Oh, sorry, it was another One-Ear lived till 96. That was my great-uncle, but my Uncle Frankie, who was... The, okay, he was only so, 22 when he died in the plane crash. Oh, right. The, oh, but right. One-Ear lived till 96, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. What, was, uh, what, was, what was the line that was just told to us about... Um, Oh yeah, Rocky and Frankie. So I have a cousin in Chicago who's you know been around those guys forever and you know pretty prominent guy over there. But he was saying that uh, back in the day, you know he you know he was around Tony Accardo and uh, Tony used to say it would be uh, Frankie one ear Frado in the streets and Rocky Marciano in the ring. But he said that on the streets, uh, my uncle only person in the yeah, world that could beat Rocky would be, was was <laughs> yeah. his great uncle. Yeah. Yep. And there's there's actually books. I, mean, I remember like him and Rocky used to be together all the time. You know, where it said like. Uh, they were walking in line. My my uncle heard somebody call him a fucking Dago or something like that, and he went back and he just, just laid into this fucking guy. And Rocky had to pull him off. This guy, just yeah, I can't remember what book that is. There's I this iconic image that was yeah. in his dad's house that's probably hanging in your place now with Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, with a oh, picture yeah. of them and of oh, yeah. him yeah. holding yeah. the gun to Sammy's head, head. Yeah. Yeah. and them all smiling ear to ear. You know, the gun's even cocked. Yeah, <laughs> the whole Rat Pack. He was loaded. I imagine he was fr- he was friendly with the whole Rat Pack. Then, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I, there's pictures of Uncle Frank at uh, Sinatra's 21st birthday. We oh, have wow. we have him with Sammy. Wow. I mean, all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, him and Jimmy Durante were really close. Years, yeah, can you, you know? so so yeah. your grandfather he passed on those stories to your father, which I think is cool and interesting because, like we were talking about, sometimes in these Italian American families that doesn't always happen, uh, where it's a uh, you know. Um, and so that's really cool that he. I think he passed on mostly the fun stories, you know. Sure. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think yeah. he knew. But I will tell you one crazy thing, you know. My so my dad, uh, they learned they had a half sister back in the 1970s because it was in some book. And they never oh my, knew this. Oh, my God. And my Uncle Tommy said that every time this one song came on, I, I can't remember what song, he used to tear up. It was about, like, a little girl, and my grandfather used to tear up. And my Uncle Tommy was like, why, like, what, 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 why is he tearing up over this song? You know, it's a weird thing. It turns out that he had a daughter born in 1928 to his first wife, who was a Jewish girl named Evelyn Glasser. She only died in 2002, but they never knew where she was. They finally found her about 10 years ago living in Escondido, California. Oh, my god! And apparently the mom had to split because she saw my grandfather and his friends doing something pretty wicked on Taylor Street behind their house, and she literally fled. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe they are chopping a guy up or something, but she never <laughs> went back. My grandfather never found her. And the crazy part is the half-sister always said, look, I always knew who all you guys were. Right. But I was always told never to ever contact you because wow. they didn't know if they knew it. she didn't want to disturb the family you know so wow. now they have this brand new sister who's like 92 years old it's the weirdest shit in the world you know so, so your dad did eventually connect with her yeah oh that's that's yeah, a great story did, yeah yeah escondidos uh, that's yeah, outside escondido, of san right diego outside, yeah exactly <laughs> right i know that, that area really weird we're know that area well my brother used to, from, yeah. used to live there yeah. oh wow escondido um i got to see that alleyway this weekend yeah <laughs> that's a <laughs> that, that, that i mean that's that's far out that that they would find that out. And, and it's, it's very tragic. I mean, like for your grandfather. Yeah, like he never not, got to meet and see his daughter again. Her name yeah. is Dolores. Yeah, yeah and, and what an interesting story, too, of a guy who's so respected and powerful and yet, like, 
is denied access to his. So like, I mean, they still very vulnerable in a way. He literally just sense. took off. He couldn't find her anywhere. Yeah. There was no, I mean, I mean, back in that, there was no social media. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How do you, 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 you disappear? You disappear. You know, yeah, you right. change your name three times apparently. Yeah. That's a, that's a yeah. great point. Yeah. Back then there'd be yeah. no way, even if you had access to resources, it'd be very difficult yeah. to track that person down. I'll tell you what else is actually pretty interesting history wise. And you guys can probably speak very well to this. You know, the Frados are also one of the real unique families that has unbelievably strong connections to places like Kansas City and to others throughout the Midwest. And there's always been, you know, that historic bond between uh, the Frados and the Savellas and, oh, yeah. and, and others going way, 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 way back. Wow. And, you know, I could only imagine those conversations back then. But, you know, we're talking about, you know, f- people who were instrumental you know, in, in, in the structure that, you know, that has been created and, uh, and, and to, to, to to be, to, to know that there was that kind of strong relationship that has existed for generations is, is an amazing thing. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Uh, I mean, I mean, that's far out because, um, you know, someone like me, I study these things, teach about them, but to to have like a, you know, a direct experience with that is, remarkable i mean i i've got my own history but it's a little difference more of sicily it's a more of a transatlantic thing but still like that's really cool yeah, uh, as we're growing up man hillbillies and uh and mob guys i mean it was very you know, being in des moines you know <laughs> right. it was very strange but it's cool yeah, though I like i remember you, yeah. being with tommy when we were at the mom museum and there's that like there's that room that has the map of america mm-hmm. you know and has all of the different you know cities you know major cities secondary you know cities and uh and just the connection points and like you virtually can that's why i always wanted to do a documentary this way it's like you know it all they all came in through virtually new york and mm-hmm. how they all spread out and his family yeah. you know by tracing how they spread out you know you're virtually following the evolution of organized crime in this country yeah i mean that's something uh, shameless self promotion here but something i talk about in my book a lot is tracing the the genealogy back to sicily but then also uh those transatlantic connections where people migrated to. And, and so in my case, with my family, I talk about the blood feud and how the blood feud starts in Sicily and then people migrate to places like Brooklyn, Buffalo, Detroit, and the, the families are still feuding. Yeah. So there, someone gets killed in Sicily and then the word gets, and sometimes it takes a while to, to, get, to communicate that, but then the word gets to Brooklyn, okay, you got to kill one of their relatives now. And then word gets to Detroit, to the other family. Now we have to retaliate. And um, so I agree with you. I think it's really interesting to kind of think about, but also visualize mapping, like underworld mapping systems. I think it's really fascinating and connecting it to kinship and genealogy. Um, Well, now, as we know, know, the world is so connected, you know, beyond just, you know, the Italian, you know, organizations, everything is, is connected everywhere right now. And, that's why I love that show zero 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 on Amazon. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, fucking, David tipped know, me off to it. Yeah, Gabriel, right. Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, what was it's, it's Saviano. What's the name of the author who wrote that? Yeah, uh, it's the same Roberto. guy that wrote. It's the same guy who wrote Gomorrah. Yeah, which, which season four just finally dropped yeah. on Netflix this week. Thank goodness. Um, yeah, but like I just, it, it's it's cool being able to to see all those connection points and. Uh, 
And again, you know, like Mike and I are from New Jersey and, and in New Jersey, you know, it's got its own very unique old history there. And, uh, and you still to this day can go into certain pockets of New Jersey and you feel like you're stepping back into like the early 20th century yeah. with, with some of these things. I, I go back to Jersey now and I've seen more, you know, Italian social clubs pop up in Northern New Jersey in the last, you know, three, four years. than I think I ever have before. And, and, and. And personally, like, I, I, I like the old school feeling sometimes, you know? Yeah. Reminds me of that last scene in, or one of the last scenes in Sopranos where that guy was walking down Mulberry Street. You oh, know, and, and, like, he, and he knows and he, he's and in he Chinatown? And he's in Chinatown. Chinatown? He's like, yeah. what the fuck? Sudden, yeah. Dude, I noticed, no, I noticed that in the 90s. The first time I ever was in Little Italy was, ni- was the summer of 97. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, Little Italy is really small. Chinatown's right next to it and it's like 10 times bigger. And you yep. could tell back then it was getting even. And then that scene in The Sopranos, which was like, you know, 10 years after that. Yep. You know, was, you know something that you guys will appreciate because you guys are West Coast guys, but you, but you grew up, you know, old school Italian Jewish families from the East Coast, Midwest. When I was teaching at Northern Arizona University, like the ethnic thing is not important there to like a lot of my students. So like I'd have a student whose last name was like, uh, I don't know, Lombardo or something. And I would say, oh, that's a good Italian-American last name. And the student would be like, I don't know. Is it? Is it? <laughs> and like that doesn't happen in places like Jersey, Detroit, Chicago, Boston, New York. That's still really important, like to us, like this sort of um, uh, like Irish, Jewish, Identifi- identifying with your bloodline. right. But I know, like I, I spent a lot of time growing up in San Diego near Escondido, and then teaching in Arizona. I noticed that's not as important in those. And um, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying like. For me, as an old school Italian guy, I was, I was somewhat disappointed. Like, do you have a vowel at the end of your yeah, last name or right, not? Right, yeah. right. But, but the sort of like, well, yeah, but I don't care. Like, yeah, maybe I do, but I, I don't care. I'm talking about like 18, 19 year olds. I'm not, I'm not trying to. Yeah, cut I mean, them growing down, up, but... it's kind of our whole identity. You know, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. You know, yeah, and yeah, and these people out west, they have no, I, I mean, and not all of them. I mean, I don't want to sure. say everybody, but I'm the vast majority have no fucking clue what it means to even be italian or be grow up in that culture you know it's it's a weird thing i mean i listen i'll be honest with you i was like one of the lonely jews out of our whole gang you know (laughs) that we grew up with in jersey and you know i grew up in a in a sea of italians you know and i and i had a a non-italian name and uh I, I kind of wanted a vowel behind there at some point, especially when I was wearing those Puma velour tracksuits. That's funny because now that I live in L.A., I just want to be Jewish. I mean, I, I, I mean, really, I'm going to be Johnny Frodostein soon, okay? I mean, I, I really be Jewish. And you know, I got 23 in me, and it came back 3.5% Ashkenazi Jew, so I got that going for me. It's pretty hey, there good. you go. Yeah. Let, let's wind down with a play a little uh, the rumor game here. Um, there are rumblings going throughout Hollywood right now that the Sopranos prequel is you know knocks people's socks off that this is going to be uh, a real resurgence of sopranos love and there you know possibly could be some you know television prequel shows that could backdoor pilot off of this film uh the film was supposed to come out a while ago uh, about a year ago and then it was supposed to come out this spring and then i think they're so excited about it they pushed it into oscar season yeah uh, so have you heard? Have you guys heard anything about it? We have. Yeah, a lot. You could you could mention Nick. 
Can I, I guess I can yeah. I? Yeah. I'll bet you I don't want to get he's, trouble. He's, he's, he, yeah. he's in the he's in the IMDb. Yeah. Okay. If as long as I'm, yeah. So our really good friend Nick Valonga, who wrote Green Book, and you know the whole movie's about his father, uh, is in uh, the new movie, but we don't know who he's playing. And I always thought he was going to be playing the young uh, version of Hesh because that was go- that was a rumor going on uh, going around. And, and maybe that is and maybe that is maybe he's keeping it close to the show. I don't know that that's true or not, but I mean that would be fantastic. He if says it was, that but, it's fantastic. My pops is the chairman of the New Jersey Film Commission. The whole thing was shot in New Jersey. And reports back from the set was that it was, it turned out great. And it was a big, they they rolled the dice. They brought in a non-actor to play Tony Soprano. And it was Tony, uh, James Gandolfini's son. Yeah. Who I heard just did an amazing job. Yeah. The opposite. I spent spent some time with him. He used to uh, intern for Steve Carell. Okay. And oh, my wow. pops and I and Steve and, uh, and a few others had a, had a big project back in the day. And I spent some time with him right after his dad passed. The kid is, is amazing. And you could tell in a second how, how good of a kid this was. He was warm. He was, he was charismatic. He, he looked like his dad. And he just had that kind of those mannerisms. Uh, you know, it kind of brought a tear to my eye when I when I heard that he was cast in that role, and uh, and I can't wait to see him in it. But with everybody else that's in that movie, oh wow! Um, I the mean, John, story and when it's taking place, and I mean, for I people just, that don't know, it's a it's the it's a prequel to The Sopranos. It's set in the late '60s into the early '70s. Um, you're going to see Tony Soprano as a, I believe, as a boy and then as a teenager. And it's actually yeah. played by Gandolfini's son. And right, Gandolfini's yeah. son is playing Tony Soprano. Yeah. And then, you know, probably my favorite new era actor right now is John Bernthal. I He's love John Bernthal. Uh, the Punisher. Walking uh, Dead. Walking yeah. Dead. I, I was introduced Sicario. to I was introduced to him in Wolf of Wall Street, yeah, which is probably my favorite movie of the last uh, decade. I just I can't get enough of Wolf of Wall Street. He's, Dare I say, I, I put it, I'm almost like, it, it almost pains me to say this, but in my Scorsese pantheon after Goodfellas, I got to put Wolf of Wall Street oh, number two. No way. No way. No way. I love. We could sit and talk about this for <laughs> one hour. Anyway, all of us. That's yeah, where I, I would agree to. is the funniest movie he's ever made. No, <laughs> yeah. I'll say that. I yeah, mean, there's yeah, no fucking yeah, yeah, about yeah, that. I, I, by I the way, I, I'm just throwing this right out there. I put Casino <laughs> over Goodfellas. So oh, okay, yeah, I, 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 put I wrote a book about the true story behind Casino. So you don't have, I mean, I love Casino and Tony Squattro. It's way better than You got to understand, though, with Sopranos, though, like, Mike and I, where that was shot, that was our backyard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there were too many times that he and I and our our core friends, you know, were taking leaks in the driveway of the <laughs> Soprano house, which was like five minutes away from us. You know, our our other closest friend, Jay, his family, Gencarelli Bakeries, was, you know, the the bakery, you know, on set for virtually the Sopranos the whole time. So there was, we grew up. Living that it. was yeah. at, 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 not only living it, but like it was just at the right time. And those are honestly my my fondest memories in life for the most part are during that that one specific period of time. And then Jersey Shore fucked that all up. <laughs> but um, but I can't uh, I can't wait till this movie comes. I hope to God that it sparks a resurgence and and that they do move forward with some type of of spin-off series. I mean, HBO Max is a powerhouse now. Yep. They can made def- a deal with made a big deal with Warner Brothers, right? Yep. They I so explain, mean explain to the uh, the audience the deal that they made. So HBO with HBO Max? Yeah. So and, HBO, and where the future of movie going is. So at. HBO Max is like, you know, it's 
like Amazon. It's like Netflix. It's 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 Warner's streaming service, which they are pumping everything through. So everything that you see on HBO, all of their theatrical releases, everything will eventually be distributed so through War- HBO Max. Warner Brothers has made a deal with HBO Max. Where they, they own it. Where they're going to have fir- – oh, they have first run. So now – it movies. depends. They're, they're, they're still splitting up. You have movies like Mortal Kombat and, and the new King Kong Godzilla that were released over the streaming site simultaneously with theatrical or even in advance. That's going to change compared with each movie. You know, I think they just said that, not Warner, but uh, Disney just said, you know, Black Widow is going to come out in the, on the screen and not through the streaming. It's all a world that's being figured out now. But the point is, is that the, the reach of these companies is just is ginormous. And, you know, these, these companies, these streaming companies are, are hitting uh, soon all of them virtually, but so many of them are either near or past, you know, a hundred million subscribers. And that is ridiculous. That is, that's a lot of eyeballs that generates so much money on a monthly basis outside of ticket sales, you know, that these companies can support these huge budgets and all of these hundreds of TV shows. So, it's why we're kind of in a golden age right now when it comes to content. One of the reasons why Johnny, myself, my pops, all of us are are experiencing this kind of this gold rush moment right now. But HBO loves this, and they have had a history of loving organized crime history. How how is the? I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Uh, how does the the move towards streaming and streaming first run movies? It seems like that's where well, it's not even where we're headed. It's where we're at. How is this going to affect the superhero movie business? Because superhero movies are meant to be seen on the big screen, unless they're starting to be produced and directed For to work on a smaller, smaller screen. screen. Okay, you know, so it all it all it all depends. But you're going to still get the big movies like the Batman movies and the bigger you know Marvel movies that are designed to be seen on a big screen and blow your face off. You know, that's that's the way that they just are. And I, I would argue from as the the out of the two co-hosts of the original Gangsters podcast, I'm the nerd, right? No, no apologies about that. Uh, Depending on the comp, like with DC, I would say that actually the better content lately is on television. Yeah, I mean, like the CW shows. Swamp Thing was fucking rad as fuck, and that was on HBO. <laughs> you didn't like? Oh, he's gonna, he's gonna. I, I loved it. I thought it was good. Oh man, the experts here. I'm glad you liked it. Though. <laughs> okay. The more money DC makes, the better. <laughs> okay, the more better. fans that they have. I thought the it better. was. I thought it was good, but but that's just another example, whether you like it or not. It but is. like you know, so you can make an argument that it depends on who's directing it. That you know, so. I agree with you, like, some of the, like, the spectacle, right? Like, King Kong versus Godzilla, I, I like, I, I had mixed feelings about watching it at, at home as yep. opposed to going to the theater. So your point is well taken, but to David's point, I think it depends, right? I mean, it, listen, we'll see. but we're watching, we talk about this stuff all the time. I mean, right now, I could speak, I know, for Johnny, like, one of the best TV shows, bar none in the last number of years, is The Boys. Mm-hmm. You know, and The Boys was based yeah. off of a super indie comic book, yeah. virtually, that our friend Nikki Barucci at Dynamite published. And now, now cool. because of Amazon, it's one of the biggest yeah. selling, highest selling, you know, comic books out there, surpassing yeah. Marvel and DC. Yeah, and that show could not exist if it wasn't for the streaming companies yeah, yeah, yeah. and what That's they could do. It, just, it couldn't. There are other shows that, that we're all watching, like Umbrella Academy. Oh, I yeah. just watched the first two episodes of Jupiter's Legacy. Did you say you saw that? No. I forget who just told me, but Jupiter's like, I heard that Invincible, the new animated show on Amazon 
that uh what's his name from walking dead kurt uh oh uh, Kur- uh um which which kirkman is that his kirkman, name? robert kirkman yeah just yeah. did that that show is supposed to be yeah. amazing and it's like you know again like these shows five years ago ten years ago they would have never had a no, shot like that's this. a great point you know yeah. johnny and i are about ready with mike with everybody to head down to uh to the indianapolis 500 uh this coming week because we control the unscripted rights to indycar and the penske corporation that we just closed so we're shooting the indy 500 and and you look at netflix's f1 show Mm -hmm. which was one of their biggest shows of the last couple years and i mean you know they got so many millions of people to watch a show that to these other racing leagues are like we need to because this is where they're going to find the next generation of viewers of fans so to us geeks out there if we don't take advantage of this shit no, it's, you know it's we're cool. not gonna find and be able to yeah. amass the next generation of geeks out there. That my God, we need bad. No, I, I Johnny agree. can only have so many children. He's on <laughs> number two now, you know, and he's doing this like every two years, I think, on the nose. But he can only produce sure. so many. So yeah, so we do what we can. I think I can yeah. keep going. <laughs> yeah, you know, look, my uncle Tommy. Uh, By the way, you want to talk women? Hold on, you want to talk about geeks? Please share the names of your sons. Oh, well, Louis Alexander, because I want him to, you know, sound like a king, but Leonardo Xavier, because, you know, <laughs> a Ninja yeah, Turtle nice. and Professor X. Of course, I think of course, that's yeah. you know, the strongest that, name on Yeah, I mean, they're both yeah. very strong and leaders. And Ninja Turtle. Yeah, yeah right. Well, well David, David named his kid after a superhero as well. I did. Harley. <laughs> Harley. Harley, oh, Harley yeah. Quinn. That's yeah, great. <laughs> now, now, you ask her mama, you know, she's going to say that she's a badass Harley Davidson biker chick. You ask me. It's Harley Quinn. She's she's got that 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 Harley Quinn in her. Yeah. So last QT. last yeah. question, and then we'll close it out. Can you give us any? I don't know. Spoilers, rumors, scuttlebutt from what we got coming out with the new uh, new Batman movie that everyone's excited about. So uh, I'll Robert you, Pattinson I, playing I, I Batman. I can't say much, but I will tell you this: that and this is going to be my my geeky political answer. We talked earlier about you know the creators visions for things and the original you know why things were done the way that they were done batman was created it was called and and introduced in detective comics because he was a detective Mm -hmm. and he was a master detective and he was somebody who didn't have superpowers and at that point didn't have airplanes and all sorts of futuristic gadgets he had his fucking mind he had his utility belt and and that was literally all he had. This movie coming out is, I think, the closest thing that has been done to date besides the original animated movie, which I, which my pops and I both agree is one of the best Batman stories ever told on the screen, which was the fan, uh, which was um, uh, not the Phantom Menace, Mask the, the Mask of the Phantasm, oh, yeah. which was yeah. incredible. Yeah, but uh but and but that show you know that that animated movie i mean that was a detective movie that yeah. was that really was yeah. this is the closest thing that has been that that will be done in a live action version to what bill finger and bob kane envision this is a true detective noir story that relies far less on cgi and all of that um and 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 that is something I think everybody is going to be looking forward to, and uh, and there's a really really good story in there. And it's being directed by Matt Reeves, correct? And, and if you've seen the you know the last you know a couple Planet of the Apes movies, especially the second one, you know these were fucking good movies. Yeah. And like this is a guy who knows character development and knows how to match character development with 
the right level of special effects, VFX and whatnot. And uh, and I can also tell you that the Batmobile in this is is a is a wicked car. So and who who are the co-stars? So Robert Pattinson's playing Batman. Colin Farrell's playing the Penguin. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we yeah, have Zoe Kravitz, yeah. which Zoe is Kravitz Zoe Kravitz. It's playing Catwoman. Yeah, there's, it's it's a big cast, and honestly, there are some names still that, that haven't even been thrown out there. But uh, I will say this. This character, this Batman, weaves his way through a whole bunch of very interesting characters in a in a natural way through this movie and not just shoved down your throat. And, you, and the audience the fans are really going to like seeing who they see and how they see them in this movie. All right, let's finish up. I don't know if Scott knows this. Uh, Speaking of retro, Michael Keaton is maybe reprising Batman as an appearance in The Flash as part of the multiverse. You can confirm. David knows that. (laughs) Do Do you ever see Batman Beyond? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, our the useless dream was to eventually see Batman Beyond oh, yeah. done oh, man. Oh, in, a, man. in a live action way, oh, man. and it Badass. just so happens that <laughs> Michael Keaton is at the right age yeah, to, sure. to to be that Batman. Oh, man. But whatever it is, I mean, <laughs> listen, my so greatest—I <laughs> was, you know, that iconic scene in the first Batman movie where he jumps off of the building and he steps off right at the beginning. He's like, "I am," Batman, and then jump and walks off. I was right there to the oh, right. Come on, you're I was me. right <laughs> off the screen on this huge platform right off to the right. That was one of the greatest moments I've ever seen yeah. with my own eyes. And to me. think <laughs> that he is going to put the suit back on yeah. and he's actually going to fight is 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 just a is just an amazing thing. Super if it was psyched. my dad, the other thing too, just as a, put a smile on your face, if it was like twenty years ago, my dad, like right when Batman Beyond was created, that character, mm-hmm. my dad always thought that Clint Eastwood would have been the best old Bruce Wayne right at that yeah. moment. Obviously, he's too too old now, right? But like he would have made the perfect right. chiseled old Batman. You know, Affleck tried to do a little bit with it the with the hair. last ones, you know, but. Uh, and did you like uh, uh, Kevin? Uh, I can't think of the name. Uh, his appearance in the multiverse. Uh, he when he played the old, like Kevin Gom. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, yeah. Listen, I like. I, like I thought all, it was cool. I like all that stuff. Yeah. Wait, wait. The, but the multiverse give us some. Give us some context right. there. Yeah. Well, if you watch like the Arrowverse with Supergirl, Flash, they they usually have like a crossover once a year. They're not doing it this year because of the pandemic and stuff. But um, so in the last crossover they did, they went to a in the multiverse, and there was an older Bruce Wayne. And it was played by who? Um, there was more importantly, though, than that. There was a scene in there. So it, what they did, which was really cool, there's this famous comic book series that came out a long time ago called Crisis on Infinite right. Earth. Right. And it was, like, one of the coolest things yeah. that DC Comics have ever done where it like goes in all these different, like, kind of, like, realities, right? And, uh, and you see variations of all the characters that we love. And when they did this in television, they, they literally brought in every so many actors and people that were used in dc television shows going back decades to just bring them all in together and show that there's some type of unification and there was a scene in there where like they cut to a scene where you see a newspaper yeah and you see the newspaper and the newspaper shows that bruce wayne and selena kyle get married and it's the image of keaton and um (laughs) um Michelle Pfeiffer. No, 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 no. Uh, yes, and Michelle Pfeiffer. I was thinking uh, <laughs> uh, Alec Baldwin's wife from the first time. Kim Basinger. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah. it was Selena Kyle. So, you yeah. know, you knew how Batman Returns ended. 
you know, and uh, and they did some really fun stuff yeah, in that. Smallville, the guy. Yeah, like it, was, the guy it, was it was it was really Superman cool. Uh, we were, were real close with the yeah, guy. Tom who's Weller, the show. Or yeah, Tom Weller. Is it Tom Weller? Tom Wellington? Yeah, and then, and then um, uh, the guy who plays uh, Superman Returns. Uh, played Superman again. Red, what's his Brandon name? Ralph. Brandon, Brandon Ralph. Ralph. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really fun. Yeah. It was, and then uh, Dick Grayson. Um, yep. I can't think of who was in six. It was. It was, fun. it was really fun. To, Brandon like, Ralph wasn't the. I mean, that that movie had a lot of problems. I didn't think Brandon Ralph was the. Huge I, yeah, problem. I, agree I thought with he you. was fine. I think he's. I thought he wasn't I great, him. but he wasn't the. A lot of other problems with that movie. Yeah. I will only yeah. say one thing about him. Apparently, he's from Iowa. From Des Moines, yeah. <laughs> so I'll give him that. His sister's really nice. I know that. There I, you she's go. very nice. Well, well, I, I don't know. Her, there you go. Let, let's end it by all. We got five people here. Let's all go person by person as we end this and give our favorite Batman movie. Oh, so what's our number one? I'll start. Yeah, go ahead. My favorite is Batman Begins. It's the great, the yeah. first of the the new ones with Christian Bale because I thought that that movie stood on its own like you could not know anything or care anything about batman or superheroes or anything and you could watch that movie and still come away thinking that's a great movie i agree with you yeah so that that's my i mean i ha- i have an affinity to the original batman because that was you know i was 11 years old and i loved that that'd be my number two all right I'm going my last. number one is Matt is batman begins i'm going last johnny i'm gonna say the dark knight because i mean uh i know i love jack nicholson as, in the joke but i mean for me heath ledger is the best joker to me just sure. because he's psychotic and fucking hilarious all at the same time yeah uh it just doesn't get any better every single scene in that is perfect greatest it's open, a perfect film i mean yeah that, that but greatest I mean, opening, opening scene of any amazing. greatest opening scene of any superhero movie i, I yeah. could watch it over and over again yeah it's a good choice yeah both of those are good yeah. choices i think all right mike i have to agree with johnny here on this one yeah but my favorite scene in the uh, the Batman with Jack Nicholson was when he walks into the uh, art museum, oh, yeah. blasting cream by <laughs> Prince. <laughs> yeah, and walk, that was probably my favorite scene in any Batman movie. Just the colors in the museum and everything. And was that cream that he was blasting? Yeah. Are you positive? Get I, don't, on I, top. I don't think it was cream. You think was it was it cream? It was something else. It, it might have been Bad Dance, which was the. Song oh, that was from the movie single. With yeah, Prince, with, Prince, with Prince. I can't remember. It might have been Prince. definitely on that soundtrack. Might have been Prince. I'm it was Prince, to, uh, but I don't know if it was Cream. I think that song might be a little too much for children. <laughs> yes, you know what I'm point. saying? That's a good point. I mean, uh, you know. Yeah, that's a... Uh, you ever I'm, listen to the I'm going with filthy. the 89. I'm going with Michael Keaton. 89 Batman. I, I love the, the trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy. I agree with you guys. Um... The, the original, well, I know that there was a 66 movie, but or the movie from the 66. You could, but, you could say this. No, no, and I like that. that. Is, I like that, that movie. I, I do. You can I, say the 66 I do, I do like that movie, movie too. But, um, Adam West. Uh, shark Repellent. <laughs> shark Repellent. But I like uh, the, the first Michael Keaton movie is my favorite. I mean, you've got Jack Palance. It just, it's just cool. Like, he's just so cool. Uh, I know he's not in the movie a lot. Carl but, Grisham. Yeah, um, Jack Napier. Yeah, yeah, just so cool. So I'm going with the, I'm going with the uh, first uh, Jack, Batman first you uh, are movie my with Michael one. Keaton. All right, so Guy. that was great. One of the one of the best scenes. So I have I have multiple answers here. That's okay. what I'm going to end. All right? <laughs> it's okay. So so here's so my my I think my favorite actual movie just because I grew up and lived it was the '89 movie, and because I was in London and or Pinewood and all that stuff. So that one always has you know a place close to the heart. The Dark Knight uh, is definitely up there because. Just to bring it all around to this podcast, uh, while we were shooting The Dark Knight, that's when the Family Secrets trial was going on in Chicago. Oh, so for well, that- David and I were both at the Family Secrets trial almost every day, but we didn't know yep. each other were there. We, we were both at Indiana University together in the late 90s. We weren't friends. We were kind of two, year, uh, two, two grades apart. And then we were both 
at this family secrets yep. trial. So, and then we reconnected a couple years later, and we found out all this, you know, commonality. I'm kind of glad we would have gotten into so much yeah, trouble yeah, if yeah. we knew each other. But uh, <laughs> I, it, uh, it was amazing because it was during the family secrets trial. I would wake up at like five thirty, six in the morning, put on my little suit with my with my briefcase, go downtown, meet up with Judge Zagel, who was the uncle of one of my best friends, who was the and, judge and, that oversaw the family secrets case. Was the biggest Chicago mafia prosecution of all time. Eighteen murders. 14 defendants uh, back in the, the, the indictment came down in 05 trial was in the summer of 07 yeah and uh, so Judge Zagel was the uncle of one of my best friends so mm-hmm. I would go down meet him and the U.S. Marshals every wow. morning and walk in with the defendants and sat with the U.S. Marshals wow. for, and I would do that from when they from the beginning through lunch break wow. and then at lunch break I would leave and go to set <laughs> and wow. and it was uh, an amazing, amazing time. And by the way, that's when I got to sit and actually socialize. And Joey the and, Clown, and talk with Joey, and oh, and, no and that's a different right, and, so and, not and not the same skinny Joey we were Joey talking the clown, about. No. Joey the Clown is the just recently died. Was the longtime uh, consigliere capo in the Chicago mob. Uh, they called him the Clown. He was a bit of a character, but it was also a, a stone cold killer yeah. and very savvy, stealthy uh, gangster. And this was this was the end of Joey the Clown. This 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 trial, and and frankly, the evidence against him was very very thin, and Joey's own hubris got the most of oh, him. Yeah. If Joey would Joey decided to take the stand, and he was known as Joey the Clown, and throughout the whole trial, before he took the stand, he'd make little quips being the clown, and in the whole courtroom would would erupt in laughter. So he, he had the courtroom in, in, like, the palm of his hand. Everyone liked him. He looked like a grandfather that just told, you know, uh, funny jokes. And he decided to get on the stand, and he was on the stand for two days, and, like, the Joey the Clown act on the stand wore thin really fast, and it just came out like you were lying. You came off like you were lying. If he just would have stayed off the stand, and I talked to his attorney afterwards, his attorney was like, he— he insisted on testifying. I told him not to testify. If he wouldn't have testified, I think Joey would have been acquitted. I agree. Of that. He was it, he was he was a character though. Yeah. But uh, so that so so the Dark Knight has holds a special place in my heart. But the one I'll end this on is in terms of like actual movies and and memories from childhood, because Mike is sitting next to me. I remember that when the Batman came out with the nipples. <laughs> with uh, with George oh, yeah. Clooney, right. my dad oh, yeah. used to have <laughs> used to throw these Batman parties in New Jersey where we would like have like our own like family and friends premieres, and we would fill up these these <laughs> these theaters. And I remember with the one with the nipples, you and Jay and and I, we must have been out drinking horribly the night before, and we were all in the back with all my family there, and everybody was sick in the back of this theater, running to the bathroom and like throwing up and like. <laughs> So in terms of, of, of memorable Batman first, uh, you know, first times in, in the theater, that one is definitely. I mean, I went and saw all, all those in the <laughs> theater good. as a teenager. I, you know, the Schumacher era definitely got very campy. It wasn't uh, his fault. <laughs> and trying to sell Happy Meals. And yeah. then that is the result of, of putting, putting toys and, yeah. and consumer products in, in front of story. But that was so great when Christopher Nolan took over the franchise and, and just took it in a whole different motif, a whole different aesthetic, a whole different feel, and it felt fresh. It didn't, and it, it was only about a six, seven-year difference between when the last Schumacher one came out and when the first— Yeah. No well, that's why, you know, I think that there's many people out there that agree with me in saying that The Dark Knight especially is one of the greatest 
films yeah. of all time yeah. and surpasses be, being just considered a comic book movie, which I think every other one virtually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it transcends the... The so, you know, and that's why, again, like when you look at things like the New York Times, you know, top 100 best, you know, novelization novels list, you know, the Watchmen is in there, you know, and that will always remain yeah. there in the publishing More. side for, for the Dark Knight, you know, I think that will, for the foreseeable future, from what yeah. I know is out there now, that's going to remain, I think, where it's at. Yeah. Well, this was awesome, Good. man. You guys have, you've done it all. You've said it all. You guys have lived. Uh, you're, we're all we're all in our 40s, but it feels like, at least for you guys, it feels like you've lived, uh, you know, triple the amount of time that you've been on this earth. And there's only another. Yeah, you're you're just approaching the back nine now. I mean, we're we're still in the front nine. So well, we, we listen, got I, I got to be careful what I say because your parents are here. But <laughs> um, but 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 needless to say, one of my goals is uh, is is completing this uh, this. Uh, dragging, screaming, kicking, screaming process with you and get finally me, get getting you to out LA. to L.A. so you can, you can get on this, uh, this uh That was this, the plan, and then, and, then co and then COVID hit, and everything got pushed back. I think if COVID hadn't hit, I'd probably be out there by now. Either way, that's uh, definitely a trajectory I'd like to uh, be headed in and, and be working full-time out there. Um, I've said this before, you know, authoring. There's something about, you know, being able to be creative and, and write a book and have kind of a peace of, uh, have peace of mind that your book is, is in a Barnes and Noble, you know, somewhere, you know, thousands and thousands of miles from where you live. And that's cool. Like, I like going to other parts of the country and going into a bookstore and seeing my book. That's cool. But it ain't worth the amount of time and energy that I put into that book. The two years that ended up paying me like I work at McDonald's when it's all said <laughs> and done. <laughs> Like, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to do a, a cost-benefit analysis, and that's why I've kind of been trying to transition or pivot my career into more content uh, development for, for television and film. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll end it with this cliffhanger. With, with folks like the Uslins and the Frados and maybe the Stallones and the Pesci's all waiting for you to come to Los Angeles— we can't wait to have you. <laughs> that will be awesome. We'll we'll just be doing the the OG podcast uh, from from Hollywood. There we but, go. And Jimmy's invited too. We should yeah, do it from our club. That's what we should yeah, do. That's, that's exactly. Uh, that's 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 yeah, do yeah, yeah, yeah. We we should go, we'll do an episode from there. But uh, for those of you uh, listening for the first time, if you're just catching our podcast for the first time, Original Gangsters Podcast, please subscribe. You can find it on Spotify, Google, iTunes, Apple. Uh, please uh, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and uh, keep on spreading the word, and we thank our guests for coming on, and we thank all of our audience members for listening. Uh, Bernie, you want to sign us out? Yeah, this is for Scott Bernstein, Jimmy Bucciolato, and our guest today, the New Jersey, Chicago, Des Moines, L.A. contingent, David, Johnny, and Mike, Scott Bernstein, OG Podcast, out.